Good morning. Hey, thanks for uh, letting us take care of some housekeeping items. I know that stuff's kind of obnoxious sometimes, but we just want to make sure we're communicating stuff, and it's, it's actually going to help us save a little bit of money as a church. So it's a lot to communicate all at once, but thanks for letting us take the time to do that. Also, if you have a second, you can scan this QR code. That's going to take you to our information card, also give you message notes and things like that. So if you'd like, we'll leave that up for a, a couple seconds longer here. Many of you might know that when I was younger, I used to run cross-country. And if you didn't know that, now you understand why I'm a little bit off, right? <laughs> There's, some of you are like, a little off? No. Uh, I get it. There's something odd about someone who willingly goes through the torture of running miles and miles and miles at a time. But one of the most valuable lessons I learned while running cross-country was that of perseverance. There's something about running long distances that teaches you to keep going no matter the adversity. You know, when you're running long distances, you face so many obstacles. There's, there's first of all, the physical pain and exhaustion. There's the, you know, the, the cramping, the dehydration, the sore muscles. We all get that. But there's also this mental fatigue, this mental battle that you're going on. You're, you're thinking of, you know, can my body go any further. You're thinking you have nothing left in the tank. You're thinking about how much further you have to run. If you're in a race, you're thinking about the person who's behind you or maybe thinking about the person ahead of you. There's a lot of mental game going on. And then there's obviously the elements you have to battle. The hills, the twists and turns, the roots that you might trip on, the wind, the rain. I'm, I'm from Northeast Ohio, so the snow. And through it all, you have to push yourself to just keep going to never give up. Well, today we're starting a new series called Don't Give Up, and we're going to be looking in this series at the 73rd Psalm. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 73. The 73rd Psalm is known as the book of Job in a nutshell. The book of Job in a nutshell. The book of Job is 42 chapters long, and this Psalm, Psalm 73, is only 28 verses long, but it pretty well summarizes the theme of Job. You might remember Job. Job was this righteous man who persevered and remained faithful in the face of great suffering and agony. So if you look at the, the heading of this psalm in your Bibles, you'll see that it says it is a psalm of Asaph. A psalm of Asaph. So who's this guy Asaph? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, in chapter 6, verses 31 to 32, it says this. It says, these are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. They ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid out for them. And then listed among these men who are put in charge of the music is a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a, a descendant of Gershon, who was a son of Levi. And so this made Asaph a, a Levite, which was the priestly tribe who served at the tabernacle. And he was basically assigned to be a worship leader, to be a worship leader. In 1 Chronicles 15, 19, you'll see that Asaph played the cymbals. And in chapter 16, he's mentioned as the chief or leader of, of basically the praise team. You know, one of these days I would love for, for our worship leader, you know, Jay, maybe to have symbols when he's leading worship, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, there's nothing better than, you know? That'd be great. I, I told him, I think next week, symbols is in, in store for him. Put down the guitar, it's time for symbols. Well, Asaph was also a skilled poet 
and singer. And he's mentioned in scripture as what we would call a seer. We, we might refer to them as a prophet. You can read more about Asaph's responsibilities in the house of the Lord if you read through 1 Chronicles 16. It tells you kind of in detail what that job entailed. So Asaph was probably in his 20s when he was appointed to his position. And he likely wrote some of the Psalms that he wrote when he was an older man serving in Solomon's reign toward the end of the reign when the kingdom was about to be torn apart. Asaph wrote Psalm 50. And he also wrote Psalm 73 all the way through 83. Now, as you read on through your Bible, you'll see that Asaph, his sons and his descendants for many generations, even into the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, which was hundreds of years later, they also served in the same way in the house of God. And so what what a great influence he had, right? What a legacy of faith and service for many, many years. So Asaph was, was a man who was very active in his faith and service to the Lord. But in this psalm that we're about to read, we read of how Asaph nearly threw in the towel, how he nearly gave up. So let's read from Psalm 73. I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing this morning as we start out this series, this psalm of Asaph, all 28 verses. It says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, And they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you, they'll perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Wow. For, for 28 verses, Asaph takes us on this journey, doesn't he? He's asking, why do the wicked prosper when the righteous are suffering? And you can see this conflict as Asaph tries to figure out this tension between the truth that he knows about God and what he's experienced in life. And in 28 verses, we see a man who, who looks back on his experience and he, he's saying, look, I know, I know that God is good. I know God is good. But there was a season where I just wasn't seeing it clearly. My experience was telling me something other than I knew, what I knew about God. And so Asaph went from lamenting about how the wicked seem to prosper, always get away with everything, and the righteous suffer, to a man, it sounds like, who just wants to throw in the towel and give up. And then finally, to a man with deep resolve. He comes out on the other side, stronger in his faith. And so this psalm and, and this series really is, is about perseverance. So we're going to spend five weeks examining this psalm. And we're going to see how, how we can get to this place where Asaph was. A place where though we see pain and suffering injustice and wickedness in our world. And though we may find ourselves in despair over these things and, and feel like, like God seemingly isn't doing anything about it or that he seemingly is just rewarding the wicked, we want to get to a place where we are people that don't give up, that we remain faithful to our God, that we claim the promises of God's presence and protection and seek the glory of God reserved for us in this life and the life to come. Asaph, he was a key leader and servant in the house of God, but he was discouraged. And he was almost ready to give up. And I don't know about you, but, but there, there's something oddly comforting about that. To, to know that someone like him, and even some of the greatest Christians throughout history, have been discouraged. I know that sounds like really awful of me to say that, oh, I'm, I'm so glad to see someone else was struggling with discouragement, and they're such a strong believer. But it's oddly comforting because I get discouraged at times too, do you? But to see them come through stronger than before, that's what's really comforting. That's what's encouraging. So we read that Asaph almost gave up. He said in verse 2, he said, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I, I had nearly lost my foothold. And as you read this, as I read this, I, I just wonder how many Christians who feel just like this who are right where Asaph was. Even those who are in here today or those watching online, how many of us are discouraged? How many of us feel defeated to the point that we're ready to throw in the towel? How many of us are struggling to sing praises this morning? How many of us are struggling to pray? Maybe it's even because we're mad at God. So we find it hard to pray to him. How many of us are struggling to read our Bibles or serve or live out our faith because we're just, we're just done? We're almost ready to give up fighting. And so maybe today your faith is just hanging in there by a thin thread and you're kind of just going through the motions of faith. But in the back of your mind, there's this little voice saying, why even bother? Why even try? What's the point in all of this? If the wicked are just getting ahead, why? Why? Asaph was right there. He said, I, I almost slipped. I almost fell. I almost gave up. 
Why did he feel this way? Well, first of all, he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. He couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. You ever feel that way? Like this week, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, God, what are you doing? Why, why is there all this evil in the world? Why so much division? Why so much hatred? So much racism? So much pain? So much greed? So much apathy? Why so much terror and destruction? I mean, all he had to do, again, was watch just a little bit of the news this week or scroll a little bit through social media. And you're probably asking, God, what is going on with this world? Maybe you even asked, God, where are you in all of this? Sometimes it feels like the biggest offenders too, the most wicked in our world, they seem to have it the easiest. They seem to be the ones who are getting the promotions. They're the ones who are getting elections won. They're moving into political offices. They're the ones with the newest cars, the nicest homes, the most luxurious vacations. They're the ones with the least money troubles, the least health worries, the least conflict. And here we are, we're trying to live right, and we just feel beat down. Asaph said in verse 3, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's like they have no struggles. Their, their bodies, they're healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. I was talking with someone this week, and we were talking about a very godly man, a pastor about, about my age, who has cancer. And it's gotten to the point where there's nothing more that his medical team can do for him. The person I was talking to said, you know, I know we're not supposed to question God, but, and I told her, I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure that's actually true. I'm not sure it's true that we're not supposed to question God. I told her we were starting this series this week, and this passage in Psalm 73 is full of questions for God. It is packed with a godly man saying, God, I just don't get it. Why, why are godly people being plagued with cancer? MS, dementia, leukemia, kidney failure, heart attacks, strokes. Why are, the, why are the, the righteous having difficulty breathing and depression and anxiety and pain and COVID? And yet others who seem to mock God, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're not plagued by human ills. Asaph, he just couldn't make sense of it. He goes on in verse 12, he says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. And they go on amassing wealth. It just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. Why would God seem to materially and physically reward, bless, show favor to those who don't even recognize him? What else? Why else was Asaph almost ready to give up? Well, he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. He writes in verse 14, he says, All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. He's like, so the wicked have it easy, and here I am trying to be faithful to God, and every morning I wake up with new pains, new aches, new heartaches and despair. It seems I'm being punished. Again, you ever felt that way? Ever ask God, why me? Well, then you can relate to Asaph. And this almost 
caused him to slip, almost caused him to give up. What else? He couldn't see the point of pursuing a godly life. I mean, if the wicked are prospering in life and they, they seem to have it easier and healthier and wealthier, and I'm over here and I'm trying to pursue God and listen to God and obey God and all I'm experiencing is pain and loss and hardship and sickness, then, then what's the point? Asaph writes, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, has it all been in vain? Is there really any reason to remain innocent if I'm just going to be punished like the guilty? Maybe I should just live it up. Live like the wicked. If I'm going to be experiencing the punishment that I think they deserve, why bother? Again, if this could happen to Asaph, a righteous man, a worship leader, then let's not be so arrogant to think that this couldn't happen to us. That our experience could lead us to despair and make us want to give up. But this is not where Asaph stayed. So how did he persevere through this? And so in this series, that's, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at five steps to persevere. Asaph took steps to move from despair and hopelessness to resolve and determination. And so today we want to look at that first step. And that first step is to stop. To stop. I know that sounds so simplistic and maybe even unrealistic. Years ago, uh, Bob Newhart, he, he made a guest appearance on the show Mad TV. And I may have showed this clip before, but he played a physical therapist. Check out a little portion of this sketch. About the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. 
I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> you ever want to tell someone that? Just stop it. We had a psychiatrist in here for service. She was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But honestly, if you are heading down a wrong path, the first step is always stop going in the direction you're going. Now, that's not the only step, obviously, when you're trying to turn a car around if you're going the wrong way. Maybe you have to do one of those five-point turnarounds, and that's really kind of what we're doing in this series. We're talking about a five-point turnaround, five things that we're going to need to turn this around. So we're not just yelling, stop it, and then therapy is over. But coming to a halt is the first stop step. You've got to stop. Asaph writes in verse 15, he says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So in the verses leading up to this, Asaph expressed in very strong language the thoughts that he had had uh, about the condition of the world. And in the verses, he says, in in this verse, he says, but if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. That is, if I would if I would have gone on promoting this extreme frustration about not being able to make sense of things, God, I would have betrayed your people. If he had followed these confusing thoughts of his mind and the downward inclination of his heart at that time, without the proper perspective, he would have betrayed the very God and the very people of God he was serving. But he didn't do that. He stopped. In this psalm, Asaph, at first, he wanted answers. He wanted to know why the wicked prosper, why his life wasn't going the way it should be. And sometimes, sometimes we cry out to God for an answer, but he wants from us first is a commitment. What he really wants from us first is a commitment, a commitment to stop. So when it comes to never giving up, when it comes to keeping the faith in face of our experience that that tells us that the unfaithful seem to prosper, that the wicked always seem to get ahead, then how do we make this enormous paradigm shift? We stop. We stop what? We stop feeding your mind with all the negativity around you. In verse 16, we come to the end of Asaph's negative thought process. And he writes this, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And then there's this one word that follows in verse 17. The word is till. Till. There was, there was a stopping point to these troubling thoughts. And again, I know this sounds so simplistic, but if our negative thoughts persist, they will weigh us down to the point we want to give up. And they'll weigh others down. It would have been a burden to the other people of God is what he's saying, right? It would have hurt them. In small group this past week, we were actually talking about this a little bit, some of the, the thoughts that we have, how we fight our thoughts, how we, how we stop those negative thoughts from, from overtaking us. And then the discussion kind of turned to, uh, you know, maybe it's more than just stopping those thoughts or removing those thoughts from our mind. Maybe it's more than just get them out, get them out, get them out. Maybe we, we ought to crowd those thoughts out. Crowd them out by being filled more with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 12, in verse 43. He said, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, then, then it says I will return to the house I left 
When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So if we are stopping and removing negative thoughts, we can't just leave it there. We need to replace those thoughts with more of the Spirit. So to stop the negative thoughts, maybe that means for you, turn off the news. Maybe it means turning off the news. Maybe it means deleting Twitter and Facebook off of your phone. Maybe it means not looking over at your neighbor's garage that's open when you're driving by and seeing all the toys and equipment and fun stuff that they have in there and and becoming envious. Maybe it means avoiding certain conversations that are happening at your office or not watching certain shows or, or, or not visiting certain websites. Maybe it means stop letting negative people speak into your life and instead fill your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with thoughts from God. Stop thinking negative thoughts. I got to tell you, I have struggled with this. I've struggled with this, especially this past year. Over the course of this year, there has been so much that has gone on in my life and in our world that has been beyond control, beyond my control. I, 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 I can't do anything about it. And I can't count how many times we've been in a situation and Sarah and I have said, well, it is what it is. Have you guys said that a lot this past year? I feel like that has been just a phrase I have repeated over and over. Well, it is what it is. It is what it is. I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. And finally, one day, I, you know, a couple months ago, we had one of those circumstances again, and we said, it is what it is. And I said, you know, I'm sick of saying it is what it is. I'm going to start saying, changing that phrase to, it is what I make it to be. It is what I make it to be. Because I may not be able to control the situation. I may not be able to control the other person. I can't, Right? But I can control how I respond. And I can choose to respond with a better attitude. I can choose to respond with more resolve. And I'm not there yet. I'm still working on it. I still find myself saying, well, it is what it is, and then kicking myself for doing that. But we can, we can stop. Stop the negativity, the thoughts. And then stop thinking, what else? Stop thinking only about yourself. Again, easier said than done, Right? Asaph writes in verse 3, he said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then from verse 4 through 12 of this psalm, Asaph goes on to describe what the wicked, arrogant are like. And in that span, he uses the words they and their 15 times. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They clothe themselves with violence. Their evil imaginations have no limits. And all this talk about others, it doesn't sound like Asaph is thinking about himself at all, right? Wrong. He's he's only looking at these people and comparing them to himself. It's a very selfish comparison, right? How how come they get away with, with acting the way they do? How come they get away with behaving like this and they're prospering and I'm over here and I'm a good person, I'm doing what is right and I'm suffering. Look at my condition. You know, sometimes our frustration with what is going on in the world is really a cover for the frustration about what is going on in our own lives. We ask, why do the wicked prosper when the real question is, why aren't I prospering? We ask, why do the righteous suffer when the real question is, why is there pain in my life? 
We ask, is there really a God who is in charge of everything? When the real question is, why is my life falling apart? And so if we want to turn this thing around, if we want to be people who are faithful and don't give up, we've got to stop focusing only on our own pain. Stop thinking that everything has to turn out the way that I think it should turn out. Stop thinking that my way is the only right way. Stop doubting the goodness of God in my life. Look, I know that life doesn't seem fair. I know there are times where we just want to just throw up our hands in the air and say, I quit. I am done. This is ridiculous. Because we're just so fed up with what is going on all around us. And the easy thing for us to do would be to throw in the towel. I love that, that Winston Churchill uh, audio clip that we played in that bumper video before the message. Churchill was encouraging the people of his day in the early days of World War II to never give in, to never give up. I don't know if you you caught all of what he said, but he said something like, these days may seem dark, but they're not dark. He said, these days are a time for us to shine, to prove what kind of people we are. I love that mentality, don't you? We, we desperately need to hear that today. So I want to challenge you to not grow weary in doing good, like, like Galatians 6 said, what we read earlier today. Not grow weary in doing good. To hold on to Jesus. Life may not seem fair, but I got to tell you, if I'm being honest, I'm really glad that life is not fair. Because if I got what I really deserved, I would be in the pit of hell for an eternity. If I got what I deserved, I would be banished from the presence of God and would feel his wrath on me. Because I have sinned against my very creator. So no, life is not fair. And I'm glad. Because I'm not getting what I deserve. I get a crown of life while Jesus takes on a crown of thorns. I thank God that he is not fair. And it is only because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So, don't give up. Through the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make this turn around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, reading through this psalm of Asaph, that there are times where it sounds like this could be taken from the page of, of our journals. We can relate. Sometimes we cry out, why are the wicked prospering? Why are they doing so well? And I'm here trying to follow you and it's not going so well. Things aren't so easy. In fact, things are tough. And there are times where I just want to give up, to walk away, to say, is this all in vain? Why, why even try but God I pray that we would learn from this this psalm Asaph is looking back on this experience and he's able to say I know that my God is good and with perspective he's able to understand a little bit more about the suffering in this world and a lot more about eternal glory So God, I pray that you would help us to make this turn around. We may be heading down this direction that is is, is the wrong direction. 
many of us probably feel like our feet are slipping. We're about to lose it. We're about to walk away from the faith. We're about to fall flat on our faces. And so God, I pray that, that as we study your word, as we study what happened in Asaph's life, we will see that we can make that turnaround too. That we can repent, that we can get some perspective, that we can see you a little more clearly for who you are. And though we may not always be able to understand the why of what you do, we will trust the who. We will trust you, God, that you are a sovereign God, that you know what you're doing, that you are for us, that you love us, that you have compassion and grace on us. May we be reminded that though life doesn't seem fair, that we ought to be thankful it's not. Because we don't get what we deserve. You give us hope. You give us reward. So God, I pray that we would put our trust completely in you. And that you would give us the faith to never give up, never give in. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And so this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe today that is just that you're having a hard time seeing through. Maybe you just need some prayer today. Maybe you need someone to come alongside of you and remind you of the hope that we have to, to pray for you. Or maybe, maybe you need to make a turnaround for the first time in your life from selfish living, pursuing the things of this world, to repenting and turning to Jesus, trusting in him for salvation, confessing in him as Lord and following through with baptism. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, walk you through whatever that next step is. So we stand and sing.